What is up, my fam? Excited to get started here. We are going to be chatting with uh, Alex Fedsky, friend of Bitcoin Magazine, on an article that actually wasn't written for Bitcoin Magazine, but it's still uh, an awesome concept and topic that you know I like to talk about a lot. I think about hyper-Bitcoinization and what happens to humanity, to society, to organization in a world that accounts for Bitcoin and is built on Bitcoin and how, how we change. Svetsky has put out some excellent thinking around this. And um, I think that this uh, article, which, uh, you know, Svetsky, you know, takes an enormous amount of pride in, you know, the concepts uh, here, uh, you know, absolutely fit in that kind of cosmic next level human sort of a genre. So I guess without further ado, Svetsky, welcome to the stage. Yo, CK. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate you um, doing a doing the spaces on this one. Even though, as you said, it's uh, I didn't write it for um, for Bitcoin Magazine. I did it for um, for Bitcoin Times. But really, really means a lot, man. Yeah, absolutely. The Bitcoin Times has a special place in my heart. I remember the first time we met in all of all places, Riga, Latvia. <laughs> uh, you handed me the original an original like test print. Uh, of the first mm-hmm. edition of the Bitcoin Times, so that one's uh, stashed in the the Bitcoin memorabilia chest. But yeah, I mean, I, I think you've been you've been doing an incredible job of bringing together a lot of great writers and thinkers in the Bitcoin space uh, under the Bitcoin Times umbrella. Thank you, man. Thank you. And who knows? Hopefully, we can um we'll be able to do something together between the two brands at some point, man. I'd love that. Anyway, let's um, talk about this concept, fire, Bitcoin, teleportation. Why don't you set the stage? Yeah. So it was actually, as I I think I mentioned it in the article, it was actually inspired by an offhand comment that Francis made during Bitcoin 2021. We were, it was me, him and Madex, we were driving through Miami with a friend. And, you know, we were just, as Bitcoiners do, right, just talking shit blah, 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 Bitcoin this, Bitcoin that. I don't think anyone realizes how big it what it is, et cetera. And I think we'd just come back from some little, there was like some satellite event where a bunch of uh, fuckwits were at, like, um, you know, the, the guys who basically tried to do um, Bitcoin S2X. The the, the guy for um, from, oh, I don't think it's BitGo. What's what's the fucking payment company? I can't remember what the name is. Anyway, Francis was like flipping out about it. Do you remember what the name was? Yeah, BitPay, that's it. Yeah, 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 that also. So so there was them, there was like some other shit coiners there and all that sort of stuff. And Francis was like, you know, raging. And anyway, we we're driving back through and he's like, fuck, these people don't realize that it's like, you know, it was fire, then it's like going to be Bitcoin, then I don't fucking know, teleportation. <laughs> and anyway, it was a joke, which I kind of, I kind of took it. I was like, you know what, that's, that's, that's a really interesting concept. And, and I mentioned it during the... um during the toxic maximalist panel uh, the next day and people love that shit. So anyway, that kind of planted a seed in my head around what does Bitcoin do to society at the macro scale? And, and I don't mean fucking Raul Powell macro, real vision, horse shit macro. I, I mean like the real macro, like what does this do to civilization? What does it do to humanity to have an energy money standard, basically, like to, 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 to have a money that basically makes the game of economics that we play as real as 
real life. Like, because that's what we don't have. Like, at the moment, the way money works is it's a game where as we're playing the fucking game, we change the rules. Like, I always use the, the example of the ghost cities in China, which is, hey, our GDP is a little bit low, so let's go rip up a bunch of resources out of the ground. Let's use up a bunch of energy. Let's, you know, expend a bunch of time just so that we can make our GDP numbers look better. And then, you know what? The city's empty. Who gives a fuck? Let's just knock it down now. Let's just rebuild the same thing again. So it's like this this fake game, which does not represent real life. Whereas like in real life, once you've wasted the resources, once you've used up the energy, it's gone. It's wasted. Like you've you've done it. And when we keep doing that, but making the game um, tell us something different, and I've used this other analogy a lot. It's like flying a plane and removing your instruments. Like the instruments are telling you something, but if you don't like what the instruments are telling you, you don't just take, you know, remove the fucking instruments and pretend like, you know, it's all good. So that's kind of what I, what like with that frame of, um, or, or with that context, I, I, you know, I wanted to think about what is the, what is the bigger picture of Bitcoin, like what does it actually um, represent and what could it do? And I'd, I can't remember when I started reading this book, but it was, it was quite influential in this piece. It was um, it's a book called Energy and Civilization by a guy called Vaclav Smil. And he's as far as I know, he's like, he's like a physicist, but I think he's an engineer um, more than a physicist, which means like he's actually got some practical insights around physics and energy, not just, you know, the, the theoretical stuff. Um, and his book is incredible. I, I recommend everyone go and have a read of that because what you find in reading the book is that civilization is purely a function of uh, harnessing energy. That's it. Like, in fact, all of life is a function of harnessing energy from the, the cellular reactions that happen in the body through to, you know, the, the way plants take in um, sunlight, use photosynthesis to transform it into something else, you know, to, to the way we transform food into fuel, to the tectonic plates that, you know, are underneath the ground that we walk on through to the gravitational forces that, you know, move celestial bodies around. Like everything is fucking energy. And when you start to appreciate things in that light, you, you really start to, I don't know, view the world in a, in a different way. You, you start to sort of see like, as Vaclav says in his book, he goes, um, energy is the, is the universal currency. And really it is like, and, and if you really, really like then think about what Bitcoin does is it like, it takes that concept, like energy is a universal currency. Um, it kind of throws time in there because time is the other thing that we need to measure as a, as a living conscious sentient species in order to organize. Um, you know, you, you blend those two together and that's basically what Bitcoin is. Bitcoin's like time and energy, right? And you, you start to realize that something like Bitcoin making our ability to measure those two things more realistic or more in line with the real world or giving them like some sort of high fidelity has knock-on effects like nothing we could possibly imagine. So, so I guess the whole premise of this article, and I think honestly, I'm, I've been thinking a lot about writing a Bitcoin book, and and I think 
you know, my sort of spin has always been a little bit anthropologically sort of viewed or, you know, kind of blending economics and this and that and all sorts of shit. So I think, I think if I do write a book, this is probably going to be the topic of it. And it'll look at the evolution of civilization through the lens of energy, economics, ecology, and engineering, right? So like, that's sort of where I was going with this. And anyway, it, it's like a big, big brain cosmic piece. And, um, and that's kind of like the preframe for it. So I don't know if you want to riff off that quickly. Well, I mean, I feel like you're hitting on something that like infuriates me about every time I listen to Brett Weinstein uh, talk about Bitcoin is he, mm-hmm. he like pokes at Bitcoiners and says like, what are you doing in the areas of physics in the areas of the real world? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, and I always roll my eyes as if like, bro, like you're literally just exposing the fact that you haven't done any research because like that is literally what Bitcoin does. Yeah, another yeah, idea enough. that I really love is this idea of Bitcoin information theory. So it's like uh, digital gold is kind of like this mm-hmm. really basic idea of, of or really limiting way to think about Bitcoin. But uh, Bitcoin from the eyes of like uh, information theory or transferring information over time and space uh, is a really it's a lot more kind of cosmic way of uh, thinking of it. So I don't know. Uh, I think I'm kind of dancing around a lot of the ideas that you highlight in your your overall thesis, but I really do think it's like really important for people to view what's going on with Bitcoin from a, a much kind of grander perspective. And I think you framing it as like, first there's fire, the next thing on that level is Bitcoin. And then, you know, that will enable teleportation. You know, Bitcoin never would have been, been enabled without all of the kind of innovations that stem from the discovery of fire and i mean that i don't think that there's many ways that you can kind of uh try to scale bitcoin to such uh important scope as to compare it directly to fire yeah i like i honestly wanted to go big with this one and kind of stretch people's brains a little bit because because it is like i mean on the surface it sounds like a fucking ridiculous claim right it's like okay all right dickhead um you know pretty sure fire you know is what made us human and and maybe maybe we should dig into that because i don't think you know maybe some people don't actually realize how um important fire was uh in the grand scheme of things so like let, let me let, let me do this because I, I do want to dig into that but i, I was just going to maybe just add one preframe just just to your point about brett weinstein and like you know people's sort of understanding of physics and and that's one of the beefs i had and that i try to articulate in this article is that for me, I kind of wrote up four, four outcomes that I wanted. I, you know, in reading this, I wanted people to be inspired to think about the grander, broader, more macro vi- vision or view of what Bitcoin represents. Um, number two, to remind them that it's not just about the money, bro. Like, it's about the fucking money in the deepest, most profound, metaphysical and existential sense. Like, it's like, what the fuck does that actually mean? Um, then... I hope that it actually, and, and this is one of my gripes with science fiction, is that science fiction I don't think has ever contended with what would need to happen for us to actually become a spacefaring species. And that would be, like, to fix the fucking money. Like, we aren't going to space before we clean up our own room. Like, for fuck's sake, we can't even feed the people on our own planet, let alone going out into space like a bunch of retards. Like, that ain't going to fucking happen. So I'm hoping this inspires some, you know, decent science fiction. And then number four is that, like, I actually hope some physicists read this. So, like, I hope someone like Brett Weinstein goes and reads this and stops assuming that we're just a bunch of weirdos looking at 
charts and tea leaves and trying to predict the price of fucking Bitcoin. There's like something far more profound going on here. So, so thank you for like bringing that up. And, and we'll, we'll hit that a little bit later when we sort of talk about the, um, the Kardashian scale. But that's sort of like my four outcomes. So anyway, let's, let's sort of dig into fire. And you know, in, in the article, I kind of asked the question, I'm like, have you ever like stopped to think about what this thing is? Like, you know, how do we discover it? Blah, blah, blah. And, and I don't think many people have, and, and I don't people, I don't think people understand like the, the, the gravity of what fire actually um, did for humans. Like, first of all, like fire is like this chemical transformation of potential energy you know, into a spectrum of other forms of wavelengths of energy. Like, so, so whether we, you know, spontaneously figured it out or, you know, some fucking lightning struck, you know, and shit like caught fire and, you know, we, we thought it was some gods who did it or whatever, like however we discovered it, you know, obviously we're never going to know, but like our capacity to harness that is really what enabled our brain to grow. So, so, Part of, and, and this isn't my theory, this is, this is a theory that at least makes sense to me when I've tried to discover or tried to understand how it is that, you know, our brains have evolved and how consciousness actually may have emerged. It's that, and, and, and Vaclav makes this um, claim, he said, everything started off with an evolutionary experiment of us becoming bipedal. Um, and in doing so, we were able to save energy in our movement like we're sort of like walking is a weird thing that no other species really does but it's super efficient when it comes to mobility and motion um and, and it's about like you know the the stat that he uses it's like one sixth of um of general quadruped so like we did that but what fire did and what kind of cemented the what i call the bipedal experiment is that it allowed the body to evolve so that more energy was captured from food. So that's like energy density and less was used up in digestion. And the excess energy was able to be diverted to and used by the brain, therefore growing it in capacity and complexity until enough neurons were present for true complex consciousness to emerge. So it's like, this is sort of my best definition of like how consciousness sort of came to be. It's that consciousness happens at a particular threshold at least from the reading that I've done, at least from what makes sense to me, at a particular threshold of interconnection of neurons. Um, and when we, get, like, the only way we got there was because we discovered fire. And I've got a little, like, meme quote in here, which is, like, in other words, we discovered fire and fire forges into who and what we are today. So you don't change fire, fire changes you, kind of like the, the, the Bitcoin meme. And I think that's just, like, first and foremost, from an evolutionary perspective, like, that was the first big discovery and then obviously downstream from that discovery and downstream from the you know the evolution of the brain etc cetera, etc cetera. it's like fire is what enabled us to you know create heat to to go to war to like tame and use the environment around us like it it did a whole lot of things for us um downstream from that and and it's really like a Again, on the on the anthropological evolutionary scale, it's like an inflection point for humanity, and that inflection pointness is what I then think about when I think about Bitcoin. It's like, you know, we haven't had a monumental change to the way humans really behave, like since sort of fire, 
um, yeah, you know, we've sort of created all sorts of different forms of government and empires and monarchs and killing each other. And, you know, we, we figured out money, thankfully, you know, with, with um, you know, after the advent of fire and all this sort of stuff. So we've done all this shit, but, you know, we haven't really fucking taken another leap. And my argument in this piece is that Bitcoin will be where we, um, where we, take, the, where we take the next leap. So I don't know if you've got any bits and pieces there before we dig into the next piece. Well, I mean, this idea of like the technology that we use affecting like the physiology of our brains and, you know, and how that is kind of like a self-reinforcing cycle is something that really speaks to me. You know, you may, you're probably going to mention this later on, but you brought up this concept of Homo Bitcoinicus, mm-hmm. uh, so like an evolution from Homo sapien. Uh, and just to kind of reinforce that cosmic idea, um, you know, I forget the name of the book that I was reading, but, uh, you know, there's there's signs uh, that you can track through uh, the physiology of people, you know, in the early days of the printing press, uh, where uh, different parts of their brain started to evolve in different ways, just due to the increase in literacy. And mm-hmm. when you are if you are actually literate, um, your, your brain, it looks different than someone who's illiterate. Uh, and that affects like your ability to view and interpret meaning from, you know, characters versus faces, et cetera, et cetera. Is your brain optimized for, um, you know, a, a verbal culture or a, a culture that's, uh, that's driven, uh, via writing. So, you know, technology can change our physiology in pretty profound ways, and, you know, I fully subscribe to this idea of Bitcoin, you know, as it as it reaches hyper Bitcoinization, you know, that's the beginning where it really starts to uh, change, you know, the behavior, physiology, technology that we have access to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and yeah, like the the most important innovations, I would say the most important technological leaps are those that create some sort of um, physio. Not, I want to call it a. I want to be careful here. It's like, you know, I, I'm not a big, as most people who know me, like you know, big believer of this fucking transhumanism. You know, fucking brain in a vat. You know, neuralink yourself up to some sort of you know singularity that the dweebs and the Ray Kurzweils of the world believe in. Like, so so I want to be careful to sort of say that, you know, the the most sound technologies are things that enable some sort of emergent evolution on behalf of the species using it, not some sort of kind of fiat forced version of uh, enhancement. I don't even want to call it evolution. It's, it's not you know. interventionist, you know, the transhumanist yeah. thing. This is, it's like this trans uh, interventionist uh, perspective. Ex- exactly. Like it's a very different flavor. Um, you know, it, it's, we, we, we adapt with it and become better versions of ourselves as opposed to some, you know, like demented brain in a vat. So yeah, we'll, 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 we'll get into that in a minute, as you said. Yo, what is going on plebs? We're going to take a break from our programming to tell you about the resurrection of our print magazine, starting with the El Salvador issue. Starting this fall, Bitcoin Magazine will be available on newsstands nationwide and at retail stores such as Barnes & Noble. 
Don't want to get off your couch though? No problem. You can also go to store.bitcoinmagazine.com. So skip the line and get each issue shipped directly to your front door with our annual subscription. I'm talking four issues a year that contain exclusive interviews and profiles with leading Bitcoiners, actionable insights on the state of the market, breaking news and cultural trends, along with powerful photos and artwork from the best artists in the world. Subscribe today and get 21% off using code podcast at checkout. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, podcast at checkout. The world of crypto can seem like the Wild West sometimes. Soaring highs, crashing lows, celebrity shills, and new coins popping up seemingly out of nowhere every day. Look, we get it because we've been there before. At Bitcoin Magazine, we aim to filter out the noise and help newcomers concentrate on the signal. That's why we focus on Bitcoin only. Learning about Bitcoin may seem intimidating at first, but we've worked hard to break things down in a simple and digestible format that anyone can understand. Bitcoin Magazine has launched a free 21-day email course that teaches you about the fundamentals of Bitcoin. You'll receive one new lesson each day that covers a brand new topic as we guide you down the Bitcoin rabbit hole with quick and easy three to five minute reads. Not only do you get the free course, but everyone who completes the quiz at the end will earn some free Bitcoin. Start learning and earning Bitcoin today. Visit b.tc forward slash 21 days to enroll. All right, so, so then if fire completely fucking transformed us, then my whole thesis is that Bitcoin's the next thing that transforms us. And the reason I kind of, the, the, what I claim in here is I'm like, yeah, look, I know we had you know things like the internet and agriculture and like, you know, electricity and shit like that, which are all important. But my argument is that they all happen downstream of money anyway. And really, if we look at the, the grand timeline, civilization is almost you know, if you're going to distill it into uh, a sentence is kind of the, the path to discovering a better way to cooperate um, and a better way to interact. Um, and we do that through money. So really, like I've got a, a paragraph in here that says the first half of the human time chain um, is merely the progression towards perfect money such that accurate value judgments can be made. Um, so, so for me, like looking at the evolution of humanity, it's like we were looking for better money. Like we, we started off by making promises, you know, maybe small little localized barter occurred here and there. Um, we were, we used shells, we used fucking beads, we used metals, we used rocks, we used whatever. And the better the money was, the better the, the more complexity we were able to build and the better the infrastructure of the society, like the, the more we could codify the input that we had into society so that we could collaborate and cooperate with others. Um, and if we look at what Bitcoin does, is like it actually reaches the point of perfection in that. So, so it's, like a, it's like an end point in that phase of humanity's progression. It's like once we, once we hit Bitcoin, it's like, the, it's like the terminal velocity point then we step change into discovering something else. And, and that's where the whole teleportation meme comes. And like I kind of say in here is like if matter and energy uh, technically are the same thing, like E equals MC squared, then perhaps the way we discover teleportation is by inventing a means to transform matter into energy, then transmit it across 
both time and space. Similar to fire and Bitcoin, a discovery like this would be an energy transformation mechanism coupled with some uh, mode of transmission. So, so it's like you look at fire, it's, a, it's an energy transformation mechanism and you know, it emanates energy across different um, waves in the, in, the, in the electromagnetic spectrum. So it kind of transmits in some sense, like Bitcoin is a more advanced version of that. Um, it is both uh, energy, with, without you know getting too literal, um, you know it is a it is an energy storage and transmission medium, and you know maybe teleportation is just another version of that. So again, I, I make it very clear in here that I don't have any fucking idea on what teleportation will look like, and the stuff that we have today with like quantum entanglement and everything might be called teleportation, but it's not by any means of the, any stretch of the imagination, a segue into what teleportation may be one day. But either way, in order to get there, we need to get the money fixed first. Like we, we, need, to, we need to cross that Rubicon. We need to hit the terminal velocity on this phase or this component of the time chain of humanity before we can think of anything else. Because seriously, if we can't fucking feed ourselves, we can't do anything else. So it's like that, that piece needs to be done first so maybe if anyone's got some bits and pieces you know if they want to come up now we can sort of dig into a few of that um see if anyone's to challenge that thesis we can do that all right we got john and we got carlos on stage uh i guess john you uh first it. approved well, hey thank you thank you it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure to, to jump on stage I'm, I'm fascinated by the discussion one quick point about fire and its integral role in, in the evolution of man. Fire has a duality, and that duality is wonder mm -hmm. and fear. Fire cooked our dinner, but it was also it was a, it was a weapon. And even today, mm -hmm. as, as fire is inculcated into our society, it still is the leading cause of personal and property damage in the world today. And I think we see that with emerging innovations. If you look at Bitcoin, it has the same dynamic, that same sort of wonder and fear so i think this is an interesting interesting discussion point there i'll uh, mute my mic thanks again for the opportunity i love it thank you john that was really good um really good insight hi everyone i'm also delighted hey, to, to be on the stage here with you guys i just wanted to share with you something that i've i've thought of it since the first time that the uh, svetsky and uh, and francis uh, shared that fire was the last leap that humanity made i disagree in a, in a point that uh, 37 Sats already already um, spoke out, I think that writing is the latest leap we've made as a society because it was the first time ever that knowledge could be transported across time and space without the need of another human being, which, at least for me, also because I'm a bit of a hobbyist linguist, I, I find that fascinating, the fact that 4,000 years ago someone said, we can not only use pictograms, but also we can modify them to transmit uh, abstract concepts. And I believe that that is fundamental to whatever we do as a society today is, is, is based on writing, no matter what you do. And just like fire and Bitcoin, they are completely voluntary technologies that nowadays it's just impossible thinking that you can integrate into society even voluntarily or be absent 
from society voluntarily without having it. That's just the thought that I wanted to share with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love that, um, that idea. And it's funny, it reminds me of, um, of a position I would have strongly agreed with a uh, number of years ago when I would, um, like, my, my, one of my first early, early articles was called, uh, uh, I think it was called like Money, Evolution, Bitcoin and Homo Sapiens or some shit like that. And it was kind of like, you know, an anthropological look at money, et cetera. And, and I kind of made the case very similar to you. So I said, you know, language um, or writing uh, was kind of the, the foundational thing. And then everything sprouted from there. But recently I've kind of been battling with this idea that money or economics or human action um, seems to be kind of like the, the language of value. So it's its own language anyway. Um, and like math and accounting, like seems to maybe writing helps us represent it, but that kind of like math and value seem to transcend writing. Like writing was a way to represent that. And I mean, by no means am I, you know, trying to say that, you know, writing is not important anyway. I mean, the, the, all of these things are interrelated, of course, like we're not going to be here without writing in the first place, but I, I just wonder that like communication and uh, written communication as important as it is, um, you know, th th does that sit in the same field as the language of value um, being money um, and like what, what, what their relationship is? And, you know, neither one is um, more important than the other because, you know, they're both so inextricably linked. But anyway, just just a note. CK? Sensky, just on this note of bringing up uh, ulterior examples to push back on your fire Bitcoin teleportation. What's your uh, what's your thought on Reed loves Bitcoin in the number zero and like kind of like the place insignificance of like the innovation of uh, a zero based monetary system on the world? Yeah, I mean that is another example of like uh, a big leap. Like I mean zero changed mathematics forever and allowed us to abstract things in a in a significant way. But I, I would again say that. I guess my thing about Bitcoin is that it, it seems to be like a an endpoint almost. And I guess maybe the zero was also an endpoint in mathematics. Like it, it led us to a particular, like mathematics was one thing up until the discovery of zero. And then after zero, like mathematics, you know, hit an inflection point. It was a completely different world after that. So maybe in that sense, you know, there is, um, there is a case for, for that discovery itself. But I mean, again, these things all to me seem to feed into this discovery of Bitcoin and Bitcoin just seems to touch all of the areas across the board, physics, math, you know, engineering, like the whole fucking lot. So, so for me, that's why I just, I find it maybe broader in that sense. And maybe, maybe when we look back on it, it might be a grander um, cumulative achievement um, that all of these things feed into. So I don't know. Yeah, I have another thought, but I'm going to touch on it later. Let, let's get back into uh, the piece. Absolutely. So, all right, the next the next thing that I kind of charge into is um, is just a quick overview on energy. Um, and, and this kind of, I discussed this at the beginning of the, of the spaces, and this draws upon work from Vaclav Smil's book, Energy and Civilization. And and in here, I just, I just kind of wanted to make a mention, and it's impossible to kind of do the topic of energy justice in um, 
you know, in 500 words, but I did my best and basically asked the question of like, you know, what, what, what the hell is this thing called energy? Um, and Vaclav Smil sort of says, um, he, he quotes in his book says from a fundamental biophysical perspective, both prehistoric, prehistoric human evolution, the course of history can be seen as the quest for controlling greater stores and flows of more concentrated and more versatile forms of energy and converting them in more affordable ways at lower costs and with higher efficiencies into heat, light, and motion. So it's basically the, the, the cornerstone of civilization is the transmutation and harnessing and use of energy. Um, and and there's, there's a really interesting um, law of maximum energy concept by a guy called Alfred Lotka. And it says, in every instance considered natural selection will so operate as to increase the total mass of the organic system to increase the rate of circulation of matter through the system and to increase the total energy flux through the system so long as there is present an unutilized residue of matter and available energy. So, so basically what that means is that the, the system will grow to the capacity that it can harness the energy. Um, and as it harnesses more energy, it'll grow to that sort of uh, those extremities that are, that are available. So both of these things, they're very ecological in nature. I don't know if anyone's read uh, Brandon Quidham's latest piece, the, the pioneer species. In there, he discusses this idea of carrying capacity um, of a living species. And as its capacity to harness more energy grows, so does the, the complexity of the life that that system uh, represents. So to me, that, that was just really, really important is that like energy underlies um, everything. And even so we still don't really, 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 really know um, how to define it. Like Richard Feynman, um, I've also quoted in here, is like he stated in, in a, I think it was a 1988 uh, lecture, he says, um, it is important to realize that in physics today, we have no knowledge of what energy is. We do not have a picture that energy comes in little blobs or a definite amount. So it's like, it's still like, we don't actually fucking know what this is, but we've kind of given this force, this thing called energy, we've, we've given it, we, we've begun to understand it, we don't really know what it is. So I, in my humbleness, tried to like um, define it in some way, shape or form. And I kind of placed it in the same box as things that we don't understand, like consciousness and randomness. Um, like they, these are phenomena that we don't have precise definitions for. We just like make approximations and analogies to try and understand them. Um, and, and for me, like if I had to try and sum up what energy is, it's like this primordial substance. Like it, it, it exists everywhere and it permeates everything. And like, I, I make this claim here that the most advanced manifestation of energy is life. So like life is like literally the, the fingertips of energy and the fingertips of like life is a conscious, sentient, intelligent being, which is humans. Like, or, or at least we're the only ones we know of, right? So it's like, this is, you know, energy started off as like, you know, something that you, one could argue is kind of like dumb, right? Like it's, it's empirical, it's measurable, et cetera, but it's through randomness or the, the, the randomness variable from the beginning of the universe, it's kind of evolved into what's at the fingertips now of, um, of, what we call intelligence or consciousness. So it's like this fucking wild idea that um, 
you know, energy is manifested as this. So, so, so to me, it's like energy is really important. So then that flows into the Kardashev scale, which I think a bunch of people may or may not have heard about. So like to, to quickly like um, frame it, it was, it's named after Nikolai Kardashev, who was a Soviet Russian. I think he was an astrophysicist and a mathematician. And he basically stated that civilization can be measured as a function of the amount of energy that the civilization can harness. And, and he basically had um, three types, like type one, type two, type three. So type one is capable of controlling uh, the entire energy of the planet. Type two is capable of controlling the entire energy of a host star and you know the solar system. Uh, and then type three is capable of controlling the energy at the scale of, a, of an entire galaxy, right? So it's like... It's a meme, basically, like the Kardashev scale is a meme, but it's, it's, it's useful in the sense that, you know, the, the, the key link that he made um, was that civilization and energy, once again, are linked. And, and you start to see these threads existing everywhere, like with Vaclav's work, with Alfred Lotka, with, like, you know, physics, with, um, you know, with, with, evolutionary biology with you know the work that i was trying to write here with kardashev stuff like you see this thread or this golden thread of like energy kind of being related to the stuff and and i think we all intuitively get that but this is a good meme version of um of kind of understanding these like the, the scales that we should get to now where it gets a little bit retarded is where you know modern physicists like fucking you know Michio Kaku and whatever other meme physicist comes out like they kind of throw around like you know they've got their whole six types now you know capable of energy at the scale of the universe capable of using energy in the multiverse and capable of like existing beyond time and space all this fucking horseshit basically it's like you know they they, they you know start trying to sound so big brained that they sound like fucking you know grade four sci-fi novelists instead of physicists so so it's like you know all, all of these kind of mean things get taken out of uh context and and what i've what i found was like and, and this ties back to what ck said about um what's his face uh weinstein eric weinstein in the beginning is that even though there's all this talk about energy and civilization all this sort of stuff what all of these guys seems to fucking miss is economics like, and I make a claim in here that everything, like all action, decision-making and energy flow, they, they all stem from economics in some way. So like the conservation of energy, entropy, activation energy, like I actually claim that they're all economic forces and the decisions made by everything from where and how the planets orbit through to the expansion of like mycelial networks, the evolution of life on earth and the mitochondrial reactions in the body, they're all complex economic calculations and implementations in action like they're all operating within the constraints of time and the physical laws of the universe so it's like if we kind of view economics in that lens then everything seems to be bound by economics and this is sort of where um where bitcoin blurs the lines between both it's like bitcoin is energy plus economics you know like you you, you blend those two together and you've got bitcoin and and i think this is this is the most frustrating thing that's missing from all of this um, physics stuff. And and that bleeds me into the, the, the piece about the great filter. So in science literature, another theory 
that is quite popular and and one that I actually enjoy um, is this idea of the great filter and basically w- what it stems from is um, Fermi's paradox uh, is basically describes like or, or, or is used as a way to understand um, the lack of evidence for extraterrestrial life in the face of a universe that should be basically bursting with it right so it's like why the fuck do we not see anyone else out there and there's been a bunch of answers to it, but one of the, the more, um, I guess, the, the more sound explanations was by a, by a physicist called, um, I can't remember his first name, but his surname was Hansen, Robin Hansen, that's it. Um, and he, he suggests this idea of like, uh, there's a series of steps that life must go through in order to get to the stage where another species, another intergalactic species will hear it, or in order to get to the stage where there'll be spacefaring. So he kind of lists out things like the planet must be capable of harboring life. So, you know, it must form around a habitable zone. Um, life itself must emerge. Those life forms must be able to reproduce. Simple cells uh, must evolve into more complex cells. Then multicellular organisms must uh, evolve uh, a method of increasing genetic diversity. So like in our case, sexual reproduction must take hold. But then he misses a bunch of fucking steps. Um, he goes straight into like, once that happens, then the spacefaring species can finally master um that the, the uh, spacefaring species can emerge like so so to me like i see a huge gap in this and i kind of tried to blend the idea of the great filter together with the the kardashian scale but through a bitcoin lens and and the pieces and you'll see this in the article if you guys um if you guys have a read but i added like 0. 0.7 8 9 10 11 and 12 and, and basically I make the claim that that the step after sex emerges is that these complex organisms must evolve into species capable of repeatedly transforming potential energy into kinetic energy. So in other words, that's fucking using tools. Um, Then beyond tools, like this complex tool-wielding species must discover fire, um, so heat energy, thus shortening their intestinal tract and redirecting energy towards the brain. So so this is like the, the next stage, and this is the fire piece. So then this increased brain size of this species and the interconnectedness of neurons must reach a point where consciousness emerges and they're able to communicate on abstract terms. So that's like the real inflection point there. Then step 10, this species must develop a tool for measuring time, energy, and scarce resources, enabling them to cooperate and coordinate across space and time. So that's money. Um, maybe there's a, there's a piece in here, like there should be a step about writing, like because we ain't going to become spacefaring without writing. Um, so that's, I think, a very valid point. So then this species, so step 11, must this species using technology must develop complex societies that culminate into advanced technologies required for space travel. But then I kind of slap in what I think is the the biggest piece that's missing from all the great filter discussions and all of the other shit like that's, you know, that's missing in the Kardashian scale is the species must discover and transition onto an energy money standard before it destroys itself. And this, this, that qualifier there, like before it destroys itself is so important because I think th- this is where I agree with the great filter theory is that there comes a point where an intelligent sentient species like us, who's discovered, you know, money, discovered writing, you know, become technologically adept, gets to the point where it actually has the capacity to blow itself up or turn itself into some dystopian gulag or you know get wiped out 
by fucking asteroid because you know we're not ready yet and we're too busy fighting over um you know left and right politics and you know the fucking asteroid comes and hits us right so it's like there's there's a tenuous period where we either wipe ourselves out or we just get unlucky and when i say we i mean like any intelligent sentient species and it's like we're i think that's where we are now like we're, we're at such an inflection point and we're at such a potential either splitting of our species or like you know the potential to go down a very dark path versus a very uh, bright path that i don't know if other species got to this point whether they've gotten through it and we may be lucky enough to get through it with something like Bitcoin because it starts to bound our behavior and our action to reality once more. Um, or do we fuck it up and end up um, blowing ourselves up? So I think I'll stop it there for like questions because I think particularly like the Great Filter and the Kardashian scale, like really interesting and in how they relate to Bitcoin and what's been missing there, I think would be definitely worth the discussion. I personally am uh, a, big, a big fan of tying these concept to, concepts together. Want to invite folks uh, listening along if you have any ideas about this or thoughts or questions about everything that Spetsky just dropped, uh, shoot a request and we'll try to get you up on stage. But I, I kind of I, I agree with you, Spetsky. You know, there's this level of like, if there is life and then sentient life on a planet, you know, there's kind of like this ticking time bomb of, you know, when that planet is going to come under some sort of existential threat. And it's really like, can they develop the means in which to protect themselves on that scale or not? So whether that's leave the planet, whether that's some sort of, you know, comet deflecting technology or, you know, whatever is necessary to continue life, even though maybe that planet might, come under jeopardy or come under attack or whatever. I, I do think that that great filter does exist. And, you know, this concept of us needing sound money in order to allocate resources effectively enough to, you know, advance enough to get to the point to even think of protecting ourselves from an existential crisis like that. It, it adds up in my mind. It, it adds up. And that, that's the, that's the exogenous risk, but there's I actually, when I, um, so, so I wrote a, a, a piece for um, your guys' new publication, which I don't think has been announced yet, so I won't, I won't talk about it. But in there, I really dive into the Great Filter idea a little bit deeper. And I say there's four big risks that I think um, are what stop a species getting through the Great Filter at around the point where we are. And one of them is the, you know, the asteroid coming out. And that, that one's really just a function of luck. That, that's just like a you know, if, if we're advanced enough and like if we're on a Bitcoin standard for 100 years, you know, maybe we are intelligent enough to like blow an asteroid out of the fucking sky, right? Or build a fucking cosmic baseball bat and whack it out, right? So, so you know, whatever that looks like, I don't fucking know, but may, maybe we get to that point. And, and that's, you know, a, a timing thing. Like, you know, who knows? Maybe there's other intelligent sentient species out there who basically got to the elect electricity revolution. They discovered electricity. And the fucking comet hit and wiped them out. Oops, you know, shit happens. So, so, so that's kind of one that we have a little bit less control over. Um, but the, 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 the one that, the, the three areas where we could fucking obsolete ourselves is basically like CBDC, UBI style gulags, you know, where we own nothing and we're happy apparently. Like, so, so that, that's a way to destroy the human race. The other one is some idiot or a group of idiots press the red button 
and like, you know, we all fucking blow ourselves up. So that would suck. And then the third one is kind of like the, the emergence of um, some sort of, I don't know, artificial super intelligence or whatever. Um, however realistic that is, I don't know. But, you know, that kind of emergence gets a little bit um, scary and tenuous because, um, you know, number one, you've, you, you, we either, and me and Rob Malka had a really sort of deep discussion on this uh, really recently. He's, uh, he's working on some artificial intelligence and ethics stuff. But I see kind of two risks with AIs. Like one is um, we imbue broken values onto it like fiat values basically and it outcompetes us with fiat values and just kind of you know wipes us out or it doesn't have the shitty values that we have and we collectively have a bunch of shit values and it just says well you guys are a plague so fuck you and it wipes us out so there's like kind of there's three big risks there and then obviously the fourth one is the um the the asteroid or comet piece so it's like those are all arguably solvable on a hard money standard um, because there's a bound to, you know, economically rational behavior. Um, so we start to root it in better value judgment. So, so I think that's where Bitcoin is just so critical in that path. So whether it's called like, I don't know, fucking energy coin in, you know, some planet on Alpha Centauri or whatever, like they're going to have to go through their own discovery of gold, you know, creation of fiat, like doing all that sort of stuff. And they're going to have to come to the same point that we are now. And maybe they didn't make it. So I'm really curious to see if we make it. So anyway, that, that's just kind of my, like my two cents there. My fellow plebs, the Bitcoin conference is back. Bitcoin 2022, April 6th through the 9th is the ultimate pilgrimage for the Bitcoin ecosystem. The Bitcoin conference is the biggest event in all of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're leveling up and making this bigger and better than ever. I'm talking straight to the moon with the four day long festival in the heart of Miami at the Miami Beach Convention Center. This has something for everyone. Whether you're a high-powered Bitcoin entrepreneur, a core developer, or a Bitcoin newbie, Bitcoin 2022 is the ultimate place for you to be with your people and celebrate and learn about the Bitcoin culture. So make sure to go to b.tc forward slash conference to lock in your official tickets and use promo code Satoshi for 10% off. Want more off? Pay in Bitcoin and you'll receive $100 off general admission and $1,000 off whale pass. Those are stackable. So go to b.tc forward slash conference and attend the best conference in Bitcoin history. Yo, my fellow Bitcoin lovers, have I got something specifically curated for you. The Deep Dive is Bitcoin Magazine's premium markets intelligence newsletter. This isn't some paid group shilling buy and sell signals. No, this is a premium Bitcoin analysis led by Dylan LeClaire and his team of analysts. They break down in an easily digestible way what is happening on-chain, in the derivatives markets, and in the greater macro backdrop context for Bitcoin. This newsletter turns volatility into a joke. So hit up members.bitcoin.magazine.com and use promo code podcast for 30% off the deep dive. That's members.bitcoinmagazine.com, promo code podcast for 30% off. Divorce your pay group and learn why Bitcoin is the strongest asset by Dylan and LeClaire and his team. I see some people jumped up. Alexandra, Mike, who wants to go? Yeah, yeah let's go with Alexandra. Again, these are some really big brain ideas from Spetsky. So uh, poke some holes. Give us your thoughts. Hey, Spetsky. Great article. Yo. Thank you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really good to see more people writing about stuff like this. 
I planted some seeds a few, I guess a few months back in Citadel 21. There's three volumes where I talk about uh, kind of what the spacefaring hyper-Bitcoinization uh, race and people might look like. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really good. What do you see our next immediate steps to getting to this next hyper-Bitcoinization state that would take us to things like, uh, like teleportation? Oh, I mean, shit, we got to learn how to feed ourselves first. I think it's like, I mean, I, I kind of look at these things on a, on a grander scale as something that I have no idea how we get there. All I know is that we ain't going to get there on the US dollar standard. Um, that's for certain. And we're not going to get there on the Ethereum fucking uh, standard either with Lord Vitalik changing the rules every six months. Like that, none of that shit's going to fucking happen. Like that, that, they're, they're sort of pathways to hell. So, so for me, it's like, and maybe we'll go into this later. Like I, I wanted to write a section in here, but I didn't, I, I've kept it for another article. It's like what I call the great lie, which is this idea that we should be thinking about becoming spacefaring now. And I, I think that's a fucking one of the greatest stupidities uh, possible. Like I actually think that we can probably fit and like have human flourishing and prosperity for up to a hundred billion people on the planet. And I think that's what we need to focus on first is like, we got seven, 8 billion people here. We are doing an utterly disastrous job at using our resources. We probably waste most of them. We, we waste most of our energy. We waste most of our time. I mean, if you want to know how much fucking time and resources we waste, go to an airport where like there's a fucking big yellow police fucking tape on every second chair and every second urinal and every second whatever the fuck there is in there. Like think about all the energy, time and resources that came out of the ground just to build that shit. Multiply that out by whatever orders of magnitude you want. Like we basically waste 99% of everything. So like before we think about anything else, we, we need to sort of clean up our room. So, so that's kind of my, my position. And that's what Bitcoin helps us do first. It's like, we get, get, we've got to get the basics right. And then as we get the basics right, as we start to rebuild a foundation, because right now we're sitting on quicksand, then we can actually build a, a solid structure. And then we can sort of reach for the stars. But doing that prematurely, like putting the, the cart before the horse, I think is madness. And, and, and that's kind of a... It's, it's the unfortunate reality of like a, the human spirit, which wants to reach, but a human society built on fiat that is a complete scam. It, it, they're incompatible with the, with the spirit's attempt to reach because, um, you know, we're, we're, we're reaching, but standing on quicksand. Like it's, it's just, it's wrong. Like we're, so, so that, that's what I think that, that would be my answer. Cool. Do I have time for one more question? Mm -hmm. Hit it. Awesome. So now that we're, uh, I mean, I think we're all Bitcoiners here, at least I hope most of us are. Uh, as we get more toward Bitcoin becoming the mainstream uh, way of transacting, do you think that that would be a quicker on-ramp to getting us to uh, the spacefaring idea? I mean, Bitcoin teaches so many things in terms of second order effects. It gets you to, you know, it causes you to look at your life. It causes you to look at everything and deeply examine it. It's a ginormous rabbit hole. So do you think that if people get kind of onto this uh, more and more, that we'll potentially be able to leapfrog many years of, of pain and sadness? Well, yes. Yeah. So, so what this reminds me of is when I when I learned to do stunt driving and racing, there, there's like a saying, and I, I'm going to butcher it, but it's something like um, slow, is, slow is fast, fast is slow, basically. So it's like what Bitcoin gets us into the habit of doing is, you know, it, it, it lowers 
collective time preferences by by creating economic like or by bringing economic consequence back to human behavior and human action right so so we start to actually think twice about the things we do and in doing so we're actually i think initially going to slow down a little bit first you know we'll we'll actually think twice about what we're so called you know what what we think innovation is um and what we're building and what we're spending our resources on and all that sort of stuff so it it'll enable us to take stock a little bit and what'll what it'll seem like, and this is my intuition or my instinct, is it'll seem like things will be slower initially, but it'll give us an opportunity to build, like I said, that foundation. But then as that starts to compound, what you'll get is like a combinatorial effect where it'll really start to accelerate and surpass anything that we could have uh, envisioned, basically. Um, and, you know, another big thing that I think Bitcoin will enable is like, innovation in the in the space of atoms not just bits because in a fiat world like the 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 trend is towards innovating in the most cheapest ephemeral ephemeral way possible and that's why there's such a like a a tendency for this whole software eating the world bullshit it's like let's just create a new dick pic app um or let's just build another wall street fucking trading app or whatever like that's where apparently all the fucking innovation is which is to me, just like madness, like there's real problems that aren't being solved, but that's just the function of like really distorted economics upstream. So anyway, to answer your question, I do think uh, medium to long term, yes. Short term, probably no. Like I think short term, it'll put a cap on a lot of the things that are viewed as innovation. But in doing so, it'll allow us to take stock and kind of like hold our horses for a little bit instead of running ahead naked into a uh you know into a fucking snowstorm that's basically what we're doing at the moment which is not sustainable let's go to mike yo what's up ck what's up spedsky yo um, mike. what's going on hey not much brother um yeah dude so i love all this shit um this stuff here and um <laughs> You know, one of the things that, that I think about a lot is this asteroid impact. It seems like there's, like, if you read Graham Hancock stuff and you look at, like, the Sphinx and the water weathering, it seems pretty obvious that we had, like, um, a civilization before and there was some asteroid impact that caused the Great Flood and everything. So, in my mind, just like fiat all has a lifespan, you know, um, before it goes completely bust, I think, like, the universe works in a similar way. So, um, you know... Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. And the fact that mining leads us towards harnessing, you know, uh, all the energy on the earth seems like we'll probably need a lot of energy if we're going to need to stop one of these asteroids in the future. So, yeah, I I think Bitcoin works in that way. And I want to just agree with what you're saying about reaching too far. I mean, that's what the fiat system does, right? Like, you know, these false signals. And I was was listening to some um, someone talking about overfishing, like in the 60s or the 70s. They built these massive boats to fish and then um, they fucking, you know, they fished way too much. They weren't pulling in as much. And the government had to subsidize the the maintenance of the boats to keep them working. So it kind of like pushes innovation in an unnatural way. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that, yeah, with this Bitcoin stuff, you know, it'll push innovation in a natural way. And, um, yeah, I don't know if we can stop the red button, but other than that, I think it's just a matter of time before another asteroid comes our way, whether it's 10 or 20 or 30 or 100,000 years. And, you know, we need to be off a of fiat standard to be harnessing all that energy and actually pull together our collective intelligence to stop this freaking thing. So I love this topic. I love mixing this stuff together.
Totally, totally, bro. Hundred um, percent agree with you. Like, if if we're still arguing about like whether Biden's better than Trump, man, like the asteroid better just hurry up and come and fucking take us out. Like, seriously, <laughs> at this point, like, you know, we we we've got to evolve as a species for fuck's sake. Anyway, CK, what's your thoughts? Yeah, we I jump mean, to I, the next section. Well, or, I, I just like the the interesting here thing here is you know I. And again, like, these aren't scientific arguments. These are just kind of, like, thought experiments. But, you know, a lot of people would make the argument that Bitcoin makes people a lot more positive and optimistic and actually, you know, it's kind of a counterforce towards the nihilism that is pervasive within society today. And you could, you know, you could make the argument that, you know, just a nihilistic society over a long enough period of time has a lot larger of a chance of producing a leader who has access to a nuke, who mm-hmm. has a you know has a likelihood of of smashing the big red button as well. So, you know, if we can coordinate better, if we can allocate resources better, if we can capture energy more realistically, and you know, maybe make more content, happy, optimistic human beings, you know, that that can help. Uh, humanity, you know, both prevent the asteroid threat, but also the internal, you know, self-destruction threat. Amen, bro. Amen. I mean, like you said, it's it's all thought experiments, but at least whilst we're thought experimenting, we're actually building. And, and I think that's what makes the Bitcoin um, space so unique. And, and I guess while we've been beating up uh, Eric Weinstein, we may as well beat him up one more time. It's like, you know, he's always lapping about how you know, we need to be doing more in physics. It's like, well, dude, we're, we're doing not only the thought experiments, but we're actually building something in, you know, in real world that's actually having a fucking impact. So it's like, we, we seem to be the only ones both doing the thought experiment and doing something about it, as opposed to just, uh, you know, intellectual fellatio thought experimenting ourselves into oblivion, which is what I love about the Bitcoin community. So anywho, um, Let's uh let's get into the last sort of section ish, um, which I kind of termed it the the Nakamoto scale, and basically it's it's another one of these sort of big brain ideas. It's saying that look, let's Kardashev scale was cute, um, but let's let's you know th- that that's more sci-fi than than it is reality. So so let's let's term a new scale and you know in homage to the inventor of bitcoin you know called it the the nakamoto scale and basically draw draw the line in the middle of like before bitcoin and after bitcoin as the um as the new timeline uh or as i keep calling it the time chain uh, of humanity for me like the way i look at it is that there's going to be a time before bitcoin um, and there'll be a time after Bitcoin. There's also going to be a short transition, and I think that's going to kind of be a little bit different to both of those periods. But like for me, that I actually think there's there's something to this idea of like a major inflection point for our species. And when I think of before Bitcoin, like in in the article, I I make a claim that it you know commenced around the discovery of fire um, and. The, the period before Bitcoin can be um, thought of as our trial by fire, pun intended. But it's like, it, it's the necessary journey all emergent species uh, must experience and endure on their path to like becoming a higher order or a more functional species. Um, and I say that the challenge has always been 
uh, low fidelity and easily corruptible tools that lack precision, precision, the most important one being money. So poor money equals poor value judgments equals poor existence. And I, I, I took a little bit of a detour in the article to kind of talk about this idea of um, evolution through the, through the framing of this thing I call the table of truth. Um, and, and I came up with this table of truth concept uh, a couple of years ago where I say that everything that we do is bound by these four objective truths, you know, that there's a fixed, fixed and finite amount of matter, fixed and finite amount of energy, uh, fixed and finite amount of time. And the, that t- like we have an unknown future. So, so time has a time's a vector. It goes in a particular direction. So, so we have these objective sort of legs to the table and the top of the table is like individual subjectivity. So we've got this sort of intersubjective reality that connects us all. So, so the way we contend with these objective truths and intersubjective reality is through uh, the technology of money, like through, through the language of value, basically. Um, and that, that's how we are able to uh, encode, store, transact um, the product of our labor, right? That, that that's that's what we do as human beings and and evolution is the process of um of doing that and continually building more complexity uh into society now we have always in the before bitcoin part of existence you know we we've basically been we've been faced with two options or we've had two options to contend with we um we sub- we either beat someone over the head with a club to take their shit so that we can contend with these objective truths um, and what we individually, subjectively view as valuable. So we either beat someone over the head with the club or we um, cooperate with them. And th- this is sort of sovereign individual-esque, but you know, th- there, is a, there is a return on violence um, or you know, there is a cost either to cooperating um, and existing against the specter of potentially failing in cooperation um, and there is a cost to violence and taking someone else's shit and the potential of failing that. And, and I would argue that the earlier on in history, um, you know, the easier it was to just potentially take someone else's stuff when you were um, contending with lack, right? And, and Trav, um, which some people on this call might know of, like he calls himself Metatrav now, but he used to be called Par- Parabolic Trav. Like he's written some brilliant stuff looking at uh, – periods of history like the um, he talks about the um the homo erectus meta the eden meta the um or the neolithic meta the eden meta etc and kind of like how uh lack became a thing because we got too good at hunting basically but against the specter of lack like basically my whole premise here is that in the before bitcoin phase of existence is like the the opportunity to gain through violence made a lot of sense. And therefore we had to basically, we've come to the point and we see it all around us is that we've had to like militarize and create monopolies on violence in order to in some way, shape or form, protect private property um, and create systems so that we can cooperate so that we can deter violence and we can incentivize cooperation. That's basically the entire fucking story of before Bitcoin is creating all these convoluted methods of doing it. So we've got government, we've got fucking empires, we've got monarchies, we've got, you know, authoritarianism, all these models of like attempting to uh, 
enable cooperation over um, the the political means of uh, wealth acquisition, which is beating someone over the head with a club and taking their shit, right? So we did all this um, with that outcome in mind, but each time we've sort of done it, because it's been a creation of ours, whoever's basically created the model of uh, preserving private property and incentivizing cooperation has always succumbed to the tendency of then being the force that then becomes coercive. And we don't need any more evidence than to fucking turn on CNN or Twitter to see how that's fucking worked out in our most recent uh, iteration. We've been contending with this uh, reality from the beginning of time. So, so then my argument is like on this Nakamoto scale, like before Bitcoin and after Bitcoin, like after Bitcoin looks very, 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 very different. Um, and I, in here, I call it like a, um, after Bitcoin is like an ever expanding renaissance on repeat where higher order morality is literally baked into our DNA through subsequent generations of ever more majestic human beings coming to this earth and solving an ever greater quality of problem. And, and I make that quote on the presupposition that Bitcoin infects every holder in such a way that they become a person who more deeply respects um, time preference and private property rights. So I, I, I say that, and, and like CK just mentioned earlier, it's like, it's not, you know, what, it may be anecdotal, but every Bitcoiner that I've spoken to, and, and I know this from personal experience, is that as you start to, you know, adopt Bitcoin as your unit of currency, like as your unit of account, personally, your time preference lowers significantly and you can't help but start to respect private property in a whole new light because for the first time you actually get, you, you actually own something in a way that you've never owned anything else before. Um, and, and, and it's wild. It like it genuinely transforms a person. And, and when I think about like what that'll do in the long run to humans, and this is where the whole homo Bitcoinicus meme uh, in the article comes up is that you look at this artificial attempt to, you know, make humans transhuman by, you know, interventionists, right? Like the same kind of fucking uh, brainlets that think that, you know, you can draw an economy on a spreadsheet and model it out. Like they think that you can just like ram a plug up someone's ass or into their brain and turn them into an evolved human. Um, you know, that they think that's the path to evolution. Whereas what Bitcoin seems to be doing and what it may do in iterations over generations is that it places a bound on human action. It changes the returns to violence. It makes defense a hell of a lot cheaper and attack a hell of a lot higher. So it starts to move behavior towards something that is more in line with how the real world works. So it's like this, this is where the, the map and territory idea come in to play. So it's like you start to behave in a way that your map, is like the territory. So, so the, the metaphysical starts to represent the physical. Like, so, so there's a fusion of these things going on. And as you do that, like over multiple generations, my argument is that we may start to see morality bake into fucking human beings, like, you know, successive generations of different types of behavior that are more aligned to natural order I think that is a way that we um we start to transform and and this is sort of where 
I get into the idea of like Bitcoin breaking all the cycles. Like what came before looks nothing like what comes after. And, and that's why I think this is a, again, it's a, it's a thought experiment, but it's before Bitcoin and after Bitcoin could well be how we measure the timeline or the time chain of humanity moving forward. And um, so anyway, I, I kind of want to place that idea there and, and I'll quickly temper it with this idea of like the, the great transition or the interregnum um, as, it's, as it's also called. It's like the, the, the period between like, you know, launching Bitcoin and getting onto a, on, a, on a Bitcoin standard, it's probably going to be a generation or too long, right? Maybe three, maybe four, I don't know. But that period is is, an, is going to be an anomaly because it won't be exactly like the before Bitcoin period. And it's definitely not going to be like the after Bitcoin period. It's going to be the fucking messiest of all, basically. It'll be this period of transition where we'll probably have more theft, more derangement, more retardedness, more fucking idiots, more clown world. You know, the the the, the level of retard simulation that's going to be going on will be like totally next level and we're not going to know what the fuck's going on but we've just sort of got to like that's the price we have to pay to to go cold turkey and get off the drug of fiat that we've been on that literally step changes civilization so anyway let's um i'll 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 stop there for the moment like we'll finish on you know bitcoin breaking all the cycles but i just wanted to give anyone an opportunity to kind of talk through this idea of like before Bitcoin, after Bitcoin, as a as a new timeline. No, so I mean, I definitely uh, feel like I can relate again to this idea of you know center, centering around Bitcoin. I mean, obviously, a lot of the Western world r- right now kind of uses like before Christ and after Christ as a center point, and you know, I don't want to trigger anyone by comparing to Christ or anything along those lines, but. Um, in terms of like another massive shift in humanity, if you think about, you know, what the church represented at the time, you know, it really represented a lifestyle, a way of life. Uh, and a lot of people could argue that a way to transfer information over time and space, uh, the way that that is done is through the clergy. Uh, and that is done through a hand over shoulder relationship from, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the priest of the time to the the priest before them and the Orthodox and the Catholic churches can all trace back that hand over shoulder relationship all the way back to an apostle and then to Jesus. So if you were to think of that, you know, in terms of a method of transferring information, culture, a way of being throughout time and space, you know, that looks a whole lot like a blockchain in terms of what a blockchain does within Bitcoin, except that the fidelity of the message all the way back to Genesis 2009, Chancellor on the Brink, is is completely unadulteratable. Um, hmm. So again, like, we keep bringing up these examples of, you know, Bitcoin being like fire, Bitcoin being this new thing in which to organize, you know, time before Bitcoin, after Bitcoin, Bitcoin and the printing press. There's so many of these just fundamental innovations that, you know, have these kind of rhymes that rhyme with Bitcoin. Uh, it, it really is kind of a mind-blowing thing. And, you know, I think you're really on to something, again, with, you know, pointing out the significance of, of Bitcoin to, you know, humanity in that way. Thank you, bro. Does anyone want to come up? Actually, Mr. Hoddle, you should come up because I know um, this one struck a chord with you, right? Um, the before Bitcoin, after Bitcoin piece. So while we're waiting, 
Um, if Miss Hardwin's come up, I see Brandon in there as well, like or whoever else. But while waiting up on that, I think the I, I've never heard that analogy actually about um, the the handing things, um, you know, the over the shoulder hand over the shoulder thing. I think that's um, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, again, if you look at the the history of uh, of the church, it almost kind of looks similarly to you know, maybe even Bitcoin and then Bitcoin forks where it's like, it started at one point and then there's like disagreements and fights. And then it, you know, that, that hand over shoulder relationship, the blockchain uh, forked off into a new kind of uh, entity. My, my, my biggest, I guess, um, I guess gripe with that is like, you know, I guess culturally speaking, you know, because we're sort of in the West and because Rome existed, like, uh, you know, you had Christianity sort of spread that way. Uh, and, and, you know, there's multiple arguments to be made about that, you know, and the timing and all that sort of stuff. But, like, you know, truths like that seem to exist. You know, like J- Japan is another example, and so is um, so is uh, China. So, so anyway, I, I don't know if it's the same, because for me, like, Bitcoin seems to be a, a much bigger deal um, and it's probably going to trigger some people, but for me, like Bitcoin's a much bigger deal than um, than any sort of prior attempt at codifying a philosophy, which you know, then turned into a religion over time. Because it, like, like kind of as you said, CK, it, it the, the the signal or the message is fundamentally incorruptible. Um, you know, so, so you've, you've got that piece there, but also the, the private property component, it's not like, you know, Jesus basically taught private property, right? Like that, that was one of his, you know, tenets and, you know, like most religious teachings or most ethical philosophical teachings teach, you know, private property in some sort of way, but Bitcoin just sort of delivers it, um, in a way that nothing else has before and changing the, the, the cost of defense, um, and attack, to me, this is again a sovereign individual thesis. It like changes, I don't know, human behavior in such a way that is for me such an inflection. Like I, I don't think anything like that has ever fundamentally occurred before, um, ever, ever, ever. And 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 this is where I think the the pre Bitcoin, post Bitcoin versions of the world to me are going to look fucking completely different. Like. Violence just really changes in that in that kind of a um, when the calculus changes, um, and, and I just think that's um, that's very very underestimated, at least at least for me. I think someone came up, Chris. Hey, yes, guys. Good evening. Really interesting conversation. I, I wasn't in for all of it, but uh, well, first of all, I don't know if any of you have read uh, Civilized to Death. That because that's the reason I'm coming up is that book civilized to death by Christopher Ryan. And um, I just recently uh, listened to about 70% of it on a drive back from New York, back to Chicago. <laughs> My brother said, you got to listen to this, Chris. So a uh, long story short, uh, the premise is that, that um, we used to be nomadic, um, which I think we all could agree. That's likely true for most of human civilization. And then um, the idea of, uh, of, uh, of growing our own crops and farming uh, was tried many times over until eventually it stuck. And, and, and basically farming brought on civilization and civilization brought a lot of negativities because uh, being stuck in one area brought, brought up, um, according to the book, 
whether you subscribe to it or not, it brought up um, a different degrees of status, competition, because once you stayed in one place, of course, uh, you had to compete for food. And through through the farming process, you know, there wasn't enough food for everyone, even though it seemed ideal at first. And so it's a bunch of basically like something inescapable. Uh, the, the author is saying this was an, an accident. In a way, nobody knew that it was going to create negativity because in, no, in the nomadic uh, world, and I'll bring it to Bitcoin in a second. In the nomadic world, you know, there was less competition, uh, no property and so on. And then, of course, um, you know, we can't escape the society we live in now. But as I look, as I see it with Bitcoin, at least a, to me, a sense of that nomadic ideal or principle is coming back because, for example, through Bitcoin ownership and especially in a in a in a hyper Bitcoinized world, we we are more independent. But it's also bringing back. I think it will hopefully after all the mess that Svesky was describing of people, you know, fighting and whatever comes, you know, in the future. But I do hope it'll bring a sense of also community which is what these nomads that were our ancestors used to have, you know, if if that was actually the case. And, uh, of course, they weren't completely peaceful. It wasn't like they, were, they weren't fighting and all that. But communities, you know, um, were self-policing in all kinds of ways, right? Sharing was expected and all those things. And hopefully... I think Bitcoin will bring that bring us back to some of that. We're never going to be nomadic, obviously, uh, but our communities hopefully will be more positive, like Vesky would say. But it's a great book. If anybody ha- uh, hasn't read it, I recommend it. Yeah, I think I, I remember reading a, a quick re- overview of that book, um, but but I didn't I didn't end up reading it because I think Tra- Trav really puts a good frame on this um, in his um, in his meta series of writing. But he, he talks about how like we didn't really need to think about private property rights so deeply when we were still um, tribal and quite sparse, right? When there was, um, you know, there was an abundance of large mammals and animals that we could hunt and all that sort of stuff because we we weren't contending with lack. And I guess as, as the thesis of this book maybe suggests is that, you know, as we started to eat all that food and started to proliferate and started to like, our numbers increased um, and we got really, really good at hunting. We started killing off um, all of the megafauna um, and, you know, we, we moved into, you know, this idea of the fall, right? Which is we ended up having to contend with like all of a sudden there wasn't these great fucking herds because we, you know, we drove them all off cliffs and all this sort of shit. And, and then we had to try and work out how the fuck to live amongst each other without, killing each other and and this is where private property rights um really had to emerge in some way shape or form and then this is my argument in the in the before bitcoin phase is that every institution whether religion whether empire whether monarchy whether whatever was actually an attempt at trying to preserve private property rights didn't have to be conscious or like you know it was probably mostly unconscious but it was it was an attempt to try and incentivize cooperation over um, straight out fucking killing each other um, so that we could subsist against the specter of lack. Private property rights are like, honestly, if we want to live on a planet with more than, you know, maybe 100 million people, maybe even more than 50 million people, like on the whole planet, we have to have private property rights. It's got to be like sort of, almost baked into our DNA. Um, if we want to fucking bomb 99% of the um, 
world and just you know cut the population back to fucking nothing then hey you know maybe private property rights aren't going to be as important because you know will be so sparsely um distributed but but we're never going back to that um hopefully um you know barring some major catastrophe but that's like that that's where i think um i, I guess a lot of these books sometimes miss uh what what they need to do is they need to go read Rothbard quickly um, and and sort of get a get a primer on private property rights and just sort of understand why that's important because like you know Bitcoin gets us to more functional localized communities not because it's the nice thing to do but because it's the only rational economic thing to do like so so it changes the calculus and I think that's what makes it powerful and I think that seems to be um, what was missing in the in the pre-Bitcoin era is that there was always a game to be played and violence was always the outcome. Svetsky, I want to wrap it up here in the next five to ten minutes. I know there's a little bit more to 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 go over in the piece, so I want to give it back to you to refocus on that. For sure. So let's um, let's finish at the end piece. So, so basically, I've got this... Uh, well, I used to have a pinned tweet on my Twitter saying that um, Bitcoin doesn't just break all your models. Bitcoin breaks all the cycles. And, you know, everyone in the Bitcoin space is always trying to fucking predict something, right? You know, fucking stock to flow and, you know, this cycle and that cycle and fucking whatever, right? There's always some attempt to try and, like, uh, make sense of Bitcoin. And, and for me, sometimes I laugh at that shit because it's like, you know, I don't know. It, it seems to me like very, very short term. Um, and I, I would say another characteristic of the difference between like BB, like before Bitcoin and after Bitcoin, is this idea of these um, these cycles. So I, I, I say in here is like characteristic of the tumultuous before Bitcoin period is the creation of multiple, of a multitude of models and cyclical theories where the hop cycle, Kondraty of waves, Schumpeterian cycle, short and long-term business cycles, and all this sort of stuff to make sense of complex emergent history. And and they're useful to forecast a world in which the same paradigm applies and where the same forcing functions apply, but is utterly useless uh, on a Bitcoin standard. Because for me, as we move on to a Bitcoin standard, like these, basically these cycles start to break. I honestly think even like the, the whole, like um, the fourth turning cycle and the, and the, and the strongman create good times, good times, create weak men, weak men, create um, bad times, etc. I think a lot of that starts to break down because you have much better feedback loops for human action and human behavior. Like you don't have the capacity as a weak man in Bitcoin to make poor decisions and then socialize your losses. At the moment, what we've got, and me, me and Gladstein kind of came to, you know, while we're arguing about democracy, we actually came to an agreement on this was the, the idea that one of the problems with modernity is that over, over the ages, and this is, again, characteristic of the before Bitcoin era, is that if you could concentrate some sort of economic power, you then created political power, and through political power, then you concentrated economic power further, and you, you basically got an unnatural advantage over your competitors, you know, over the other people that were uh, alive around you. Whereas Bitcoin doesn't allow you to do that. Like you can't use political power to gain um, completely unfair 
economic advantage you know you might be able to like you know in a in a localized manner um or perhaps during the interregnum you know during the the transition phase you might be able to you know enforce some sort of uh, political power as things are transforming but you know after we're on a bitcoin standard so after the nation state collapses and all that sort of stuff you can't go and print bitcoin you can't forcibly tax it you know you can't borrow from a fucking future that doesn't exist yet and increase your debt ceiling because you know you can just borrow on tax like that kind of dynamic really really changes and that puts the fucking brakes on these cycles and i think you know pardon well, pun totally intended like it actually breaks the fucking cycles too and for me that's like one of these um that's basically you know how i tried to sum up this um this piece it's like the future looks nothing like the past on a bitcoin standard and you know even though you know i've called it like um you know renaissance 2.0 and all this sort of stuff like for me it's so much bigger than all of these things like it it really is a step change it really is a a zero to one moment not just for money not just for economics not just for payments especially not for fucking payments um not just for technology like it's it's a step change for all of humanity and and i think that's the scale at which i want to push people to think about bitcoin um it's not just hey man you know it was 60 grand two months ago now it's 30 grand i'm going to kill myself it's like if that's why you're in bitcoin go buy some ethereum or go gamble on you know uh at the casino like bitcoin is just so much fucking bigger and when you start to view it from that i guess angle from that from that vantage point it takes on a whole new meaning and i mean then then stacking sets becomes like a you know not just a a moral obligation but like a fucking dynastic play like it it everything starts to become bigger and and anyway i i hope in the end that that's what this piece um inspires in people um you know it's i i wrote this hoping to inspire like bigger thinking and you know to to sort of wrap this up like i i think i said this in the beginning but i was typing something up earlier i was like bitcoin is like energy meets ecology meets engineering meets economics it's like these things and for me like holy shit there there's nothing more important in the world today so i hope that this piece serves to remind people of that importance all right Well, that's a great place to end it. I mean, again, uh that's what Bitcoin magazine's all about is, you know, expediting the shift over to Bitcoin. That is the most important thing that we could be working on today. And, you know, I think saying that amongst all the shit that we're seeing around us, like that's not a small statement. That is a huge effing statement and I think this article is an attempt at trying to get people to the level where you know of conviction and in the power of sound money and uh, moving to a 100% digital encrypted realm you know what that means for society so kudos to you Svetsky for articulating this um thank you for the time uh, you know in explaining it here and uh yeah excited for the next piece on bitcoin mag thank you my friend really appreciate it thank you to everyone for coming and listening and yeah i will uh I'll definitely be publishing a piece soon and looking forward to um to Bitcoin 2022 man. It's going to be me and Pierre still trying to work out the stuff but hopefully I'll actually be giving a talk on on this topic so that'll be really sick. It'll be 
it'll be a an homage to Bitcoin 2021, and I'm gonna like link it uh, in the CSO. It's gonna be good, man. I know that the op-ed team would love to get you writing an homage to Bitcoin 21 in the mag leading up to the conference, but would love, you know, can't wait, can't wait for the talk uh, at the conference. Everyone at the in the audience, you need to come to Bitcoin 22. Go to b.tc forward slash conference. Four days of the epic Bitcoining on a scale that's never happened before. You know, we're 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 going to be pushing thirty thousand people. We're going to have a motherfucking music festival at the end to <laughs> to cap it all off. It's a full Bitcoin week in Miami and a Bitcoiner takeover of Miami Beach. So worth every penny. And honestly, if it's worth it to just show up, even if you're not going to go to the conference. Uh, and if that's you, still do it. There's going to be tons of stuff happening. It's going to be absolutely worth the experience. And maybe consider buying the festival pass. It's like 100 bucks, and you can go to the music festival and the art festival and party on Saturday the 9th. So, yeah, I'll stop chilling the conference. Again, Svetsky, can't wait to see you in person again. Uh, and hope to see everyone in the audience there in Meet Space. Absolutely, brother.